What is up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the Fetch It Podcast, and I personally am extraordinarily excited because I've got one of my stars, the medium-term rental queen, Sarah Weaver. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks so much, David. Absolutely. So before we, you know, dig into medium-term rentals, and I mean, I, I've been talking about medium-term rentals constantly on this podcast, and you know, everybody knows how big of a fan I am, but we're excited to hear kind of like, you know, the, the latest and greatest on medium terms. But before we get into that, kind of tell us the backstory of what, what got Sarah Weaver into real estate investing in general. What were you doing prior to? Yeah, absolutely. So my resume is a bit of a joke. I have taught English in South Korea. I was an intern for Sports Illustrated. I covered the House and the Senate of Kansas in Topeka, Kansas for the largest newspaper in Kansas. So I was a journalist for a very short period of time. I had a real estate license in Texas. I was a social media marketing analyst for a small startup. And you can just guess that part of why I jumped around so much is because I have massive commitment issues. And so it's quite funny, fast forward, and I am committed fully to investing in real estate, yet I own in four different states, I own different types of properties, and I am now fully nomadic. So I'm kind of really leaning into these commitment issues and I have no home base anymore. Fantastic. So yeah, we were just before we got onto here, I asked, I was like, okay, so where's Sarah Weaver in the world now? Because, you know, I, I heard, if you follow her on Instagram, which everybody should follow her on Instagram, you'll see she's hopping around all over the place. So tell them where you're at right now. Yes, I am in Zanzibar, which is an island off the coast of Tanzania in Africa. I got here about 12 hours ago. I flew in from Lisbon, Portugal. Fantastic. So, uh, whenever you were getting into, or like, you know, you kind of hopped around to jobs and it sounds like, you know, a lot of times yeah, we hear people like that, like entrepreneurs, they're just like, I can't, um, you're, they're not good employees. You know, they're, they're great employees, but they don't want to be a good employee. They want to be able to be doing things on their own time. And so it sounds kind of like that's the way that you were. So then when did you kind of make the shift of like, oh, I'm going to go the entrepreneurial route. And then did you do anything else prior to real estate or did you just hop in? Yeah, great question. I worked for female entrepreneurs for about eight years. And so if any of the listeners like have been dragging their feet or like dipping their toe in entrepreneurship, but not wanting to let go of that W-2, I feel you. I think I've always known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I didn't have a backup plan. There was, there's no money. Um, my parents don't have money. I didn't have money. Um, and so I didn't know quite how I was going to pay my bills and I just was scared. And so it wasn't until my cash flow from my rentals hit a certain number that I was like, okay, I'm ready to try this entrepreneur thing on my own. And that's when I left my job. Super exciting. So what, what was the first property that you tried to pursue and was it medium term rentals right from the get go? Or did you kind of go the normal path of long-term rentals or how did, what did that first property look like? Yeah. So the first property is a single family home in Prairie Village, Kansas. I always say a name so cute, you can't make it up. So that's um, a suburb outside of Kansas City. I grew up in Overland Park, Kansas. So I bought in that area because I thought, oh, my dad's there. If worst case scenario, he can run by the property. I wasn't living in that in Kansas City at the time. I was living in Denver. And then I realized that you could house hack or use an owner-occupied loan to put as little as 3% down. 
And so with tears in my eyes, I packed my bags and moved to Kansas City. And I house hacked that first property. I house hacked my second property. And then I even house hacked my third property. And each of them are in a different state. So I would pick up my life, move to a new place so that I could start investing in that market. So for, for the listeners not familiar with house hacking, would you mind just touching on what house hacking is and why it's such an amazing tool, especially in like your primary residence? Absolutely. So the idea is that you're using an owner-occupied conventional loan, which back in the day, that was where great interest rates or the best interest rates. It's still really good terms. Did you guys know that the U.S. is like one of maybe five countries that has 30-year fixed mortgages? Are all the rest shorter or what? what's the other ones? Yeah, they're arms, meaning adjustable rate mortgages. They're fixed, but they're fixed for like two to five years or, or what we call, oh, consider wow. an arm here in the I U.S. I did not know that. And so the fact that like we have 30-year fixed rates is just insane, um, insanely good. And so it's taking advantage of the ability to put down a lower down payment, which keeps more money in your pocket. Or in my case, I didn't – there was no other, other money. Um, but it also fixes your interest rate for 30 years. And so, which was great when I started getting rates at in the twos and the threes and even the fours, and now I'm locked in for 30 years. So no matter how high rates get, as long as I don't refinance, that's my rate for, you know, the entirety. The only thing that changes is property taxes. Those tend to go up. So that does change your monthly payment. But the rate itself, your mortgage and interest will stay the same. So that's the idea between owner-occupied. And then house hacking is going a step further and getting some of your mortgage paid for by renting out a portion of the property. It doesn't even have to mean roommates. Um, for those of you listening that are like, I'm over the roommate thing, I hear you. You can buy a duplex. And yes, your tenant lives next door, but at least you know there's a wall in between you. Um, you could have a single family house and create like an apartment in your basement, like a walkout basement or even a detached accessory dwelling unit if you have the ability to add on in your backyard. There's so many different ways to do this and it all falls under the umbrella of house hacking because you're hacking your house to get all or a portion of your mortgage paid for. Yeah, I, I I preach house hacking from the mountaintops because that's how I got my start as well. Our story is very similar. I a very first primary residence that my wife and I bought. I love her to death because she was looking on the Zillow and she found this listing and she was like, "This has a house behind it. It looks like a little carriage house. Do you think we could do that house hacking thing you were talking about?" And I was like, "Oh my gosh, honey, this is amazing. Yes, absolutely." So and then um, you put a ring on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the beauty of this though was like we bought this place for 150 grand. We only had to put five uh, percent down on that and then we furnished the main house and the back house and we rented out the back house to travel nurses as a medium-term rental for like two thousand dollars a month and our mortgage payment was like 890 dollars. so you can do the math that's craziness and so that's why i'm such a huge proponent of house hacking so that's amazing that that's how you got started as well yeah so that's how i got started so it wasn't until property number three that i did what you just talked about where i brought in the medium-term rental strategy which is now, of course, my favorite strategy. It's where I furnish the unit, but instead of a typical STR or short-term rental, I'm not doing two-night or three-night stays. Like the constant turnover wasn't good for my lifestyle. I'd be hiking in northern Guatemala in the jungle, and my phone would be on airplane mode for 
12 hours, that doesn't really work if you have a check-in or the cleaner needs you or a guest needs you. But it does work if your guests stay for 90 days or more because on average, they're pretty silent about 70 of those 90 days. Yeah, completely agree. I, I tell people all the time, I mean, and, and as I'm currently shopping for short-term rentals, but um, I the medium-term rentals, they're just so, so easy to manage because for one, you have the best type of tenant type because they're, you know, typically traveling professionals. And I want to dig into that a little bit of like who your normal, normal tenant is, but usually travel nurses is kind of a big one for medium-term rentals. But then there's so many other people that travel for work. Like I had a crane operator. I had some concrete guys that stayed in our property. I had somebody for a law internship. So what's kind of your, your bread and butter tenant do you think? Is it travel nurses or is there other in there? Yeah. I mean, the great thing about the medium-term rental strategy is it could be anyone. And so that's what I want your listeners to really hear is that you can rent to anyone looking for a furnished rental. So sometimes they're internships. Sometimes they're people moving to your city who can't yet buy a house yet. In my case, I predominantly rent to travel medical professionals, specifically travel nurses. But I've also rented to someone that was renovating their house and just needed somewhere to stay in the meantime. The the reason I've been uh, so quiet is not is uh, partially because you have the coolest traveling real estate lifestyle that everybody dreams of, but um, also because I haven't done a house hack or medium term rental. My background is um, not yet, not not yet. I, yeah, well, yep, we're all learning, and I'm, I want to. I definitely want to do it. My strategy has been uh, ground up. I'm doing a ground up A-frame development, a double A-frame in the Smoky Mountains, and I've done a regular short-term rental in Cleveland. So for those looking, I would say to speak speak to the to, to the rookie in the room. Obviously, you have a wealth of resources online, but you know if we have to condense it to a soundbite, what, how could somebody get started in the in the medium-term space if they're a little bit intimidated? by the new niche and they're not quite sure how to approach it because the short-term rental space to be honest is a little bit dummy proof and i think that the medium-term rental space takes a little more thoughtfulness it does it does yoni i think that it's really important that your listeners see that there's demand and so unfortunately there's not a perfect resource so we're gonna have to piecemeal some things together and so i have made a video um, that your listeners can have, you guys can have. It's just a quick four-minute video showing you exactly how I look up rent. So I'll make sure that we share that in the show notes. It's just sarahdweaver.com forward slash MTR guide. And I'll send that to you guys. But essentially what you have to do is you're going to want to look at demand in your area using a website called Furnished Finder. Now, Furnished Finder is where most of the medium-term tenants that I secure come from. And so I'm liking to use the site in two different ways. One, I'm looking as if I'm a nurse, looking at properties in the area that I'm look that I'm buying in, in the market I'm buying in. And then I also like to go in and see what the demand is using furnishfinder.com forward slash stats, S-T-A-T-S. It's not the perfect science. I want to be very clear about that. AirDNA is actually getting aggregated data from the OTA, the online travel agency, Airbnb. But we're not able to do that with Furnish Finder because it's not a booking site. So I know that's not at all a, a quick soundbite for newbies, but I want everyone to like rest assured that there's so many different tenant pools that you can rent to. And so I can't say on the record that 
anything can be an MTR. However, if you're 10% better than your competition, you can stay fully booked because you only need four tenants a year. Because if this tenant stays 90 days and this tenant stays 90 days, well, then guess what? You only need two more people to stay 90 days. And so if you're confident that you can get four people to book your place in a year's time, then you should be fully booked and your mortgage is paid for. And the reason it's worth going medium term instead of long term is I'm able to get two to two and a half times more rent. That was beautifully said. You are very articulate, Sarah. I want to add on another reason why as a rookie to this, and I think it helps to have this counter perspective because you two are medium term pros. The One of the things that Fetch It does really well is we research and provide all the ordinance data throughout the country. So if there's an, a law in a given market, we'll tell you, hey, you know, the the Kansas City ordinance is this. The Cleveland, there's no ordinance in Cleveland yet, but like th this is the ordinance in Cleveland. So the rise of these ordinances that are being pushed in the major cities is another reason why people should go medium. Because if you go medium, you've ducked most of these. Obviously, you may not even get need to get an STR permit, which is like in a little annoying thing that happens with, you know, with ordinances, too. So I don't know if you have anything to say about that, but that's something that's super attractive to me that like no matter what, let's say I bought the property, I don't get I don't get completely my mortgage doesn't, you know, strangle me like a noose because I, I totally underestimated the, the, the county that I bought in putting in a law that basically renders my business enabled to, be, to, to, to run. Can you speak about that for a second? Exactly. We're seeing short-term regulations pop up everywhere, and it will continue to be a trend. And so what I like is that I'm seeing most of them are saying 30 days or less. And so the workaround is to rent it out for 30 days or more. Some HOAs are saying not at all. Some are saying not less than six months, which is why I personally stay away from HOAs completely because, you guys, I'm investing. So it's already inherently risky. I want to make sure that I'm mitigating risk by buying a property that I will have the rights to rent it out to whom I want. And while I can't control municipalities, I, I could vote. But I'm also investing in three different markets. And so only one of those I'm a voter in. And yes, I'm a homeowner in all of them. But I don't think that they're as interested in hearing me speak when I don't actually live there. And so I think it's really important that you're mitigating risk as much as you can. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been seeing our uh, mutual friend, Jesse Vasquez. He's been posting a lot about that, about like, because he lives in California and there's been a lot of short-term rental regulations that are going on in California. And he was saying like medium terms are, you know, the, the next logical option. And he said, there's going to be yeah. a lot of people that move from the STR model to the MTR model. And so like any like major cities that you're in, are, are you seeing or are you feeling like there's any concern like, okay, these really, really shiny object STRs that are coming to the medium term market, you know, uh, as of right now, Jesse likes to say that it's like in the third inning right now, instead of all, you know, the ninth inning, like it is with short term rentals. And so um, is there worry for oversaturation in some of these bigger markets? Or do you think that there's enough room to go around? No, I, I do think saturation is an issue. I think that's why it's so important that you're paying attention to the amenities and the level of decor, professionalism, automation, the user experience, your photography, all of that has to be on point. 
it you're not breaking the bank. Let me be really clear. You're not, you know, I'm not doing neon signs and selfie stations like a Phoenix bachelorette pad, but I am choosing tasteful decor that's also durable and on a budget. And then I'm paying a fantastic photographer to capture how nicely decorated the unit is. And that's blowing away my competition in some of the markets that I'm in. But in your market, maybe there are a ton of beautiful Airbnbs. So then you have to ask yourself, how am I going to stand out? Why is someone going to book mine over the competition? I completely agree. Yeah. Whenever like whenever you get those professional photos back, you're like, oh my gosh, this is and then and then if you go and you like peruse around at your competition who took their iPhone photos of, you know, grandma's furniture, you're just like it would be a no-brainer. If I was the customer and I was perusing through Furnish Finder and I saw these beautiful professional photos, I mean the, the two hundred to five hundred dollars that you spend for it, you make back with your first booking. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that it's an investment. I mean, I'm not flipping these properties, right? I'm buying in cash flow markets, meaning they're not appreciating like crazy. We're not we're not getting rich off appreciation yet. <laughs> it's a slow game. I always say that real estate investing the way I'm doing it is the get rich slow <laughs> strategy. And and I plan on having these as furnished rentals for a while. And so I'm paying a lot of attention to the durability of the furniture that I'm buying. I'm not doing anything too trendy, but it's still really beautiful. And then when something wears out, you need to replace it. And that needs to be calculated in your capital expenditures, maintenance, and repairs. My role in this conversation is going to ask the rookie stupid questions. I got started in real estate by buying a multifamily building with my brother. And I quickly realized that that was the most boring thing I could have ever done. I fell in love with Airbnb because of interior design and the, and what you can do with the units. Is there a design theme that you that you like is it did it change by the market do you do the same theme every time you talked about durable furniture i love that answer but is there is is there do you t do you pay attention to design themes at all or if if not totally cool just wondering yeah absolutely well it's a great question because i own a design company so people ask me all the time how was i designing these units while i was abroad so by the way i bought my third property from eight thousand miles away i was living in a van in new zealand and i bought a fourplex in omaha nebraska because what girl doesn't want to own an airbnb in omaha um and i furnished it from afar and Everyone was asking, how did you do that? Could you do mine? Especially when I showed them the numbers that I'm cash flowing anywhere between like three and 4,000 um, a month on this fourplex. And I found a solution to the problem. So I created Aria Design Services. That's A-R-Y-A Design Services. And now we furnish Airbnbs all across the country. Last year, we did 37 units in nine states. And I think we're well on our way to double that this year. And so what I think is really important is you pay really close attention to who you're renting to. So I mentioned like tongue in cheek about the Arizona bachelorette pad. Like if that's who your like market tenant is, then go for it. Like you're going to need a pool. You're going to need floaties. I'd go ahead and hire models. Like do the damn thing and do it really well. Whereas if you're going to have a one-bedroom, one-bath in Cleveland, Ohio, you're, you don't need to do the same things that you would in another market. And so I think it's really important that you're looking at your competition. And then also, you guys, this is meant to be fun. Like even if you're not into design, like lean into your designer and say, hey, I like 
really love the color blue. Or I went to Bali and fell in love with Bali. Great. I'd love to decorate everything like a Bali coffee shop because they're just that stinking cute. Um, But yeah, have fun with it. I personally think the theme needs to be appropriate. So I wouldn't be doing like a beach theme in the mountains. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. But I also know investors that are like absolutely crushing it with Marvel themed Airbnbs. And he's targeting families who have traveling athletes. So like, I don't know if you guys were athletes growing up, but I definitely wasn't. But I had friends who, I mean, they were going to tournaments all across the country. And this particular investor is catering to that type of demographic because they're right across from the baseball fields where all the tournaments are played. And so he went like all out Marvel themed personally wouldn't be interested in doing that but he's crushing it what what an interesting niche to get into i mean we always talk about you know niching down but that's like going to a whole nother level you know going after traveling teams that's so intelligent so smart so i i I, uh so if somebody was wanting to use so i i've been trying to send some people your way because after i got off my bigger pockets rookie podcast people were you know messaging me like crazy on uh, instagram they're like how do i do this from afar and i said well let me show you there's this company called aria design (laughs) so take us step by step like if if i wanted to do a property in cleveland ohio and I didn't want to go there and set it up myself, which I, I, I'm a big proponent of, like setting up your first one yourself. I love that idea. But if uh, I wanted just somebody to do it for me, how does that kind of process work? Yeah, absolutely. So you give us a call and someone on my team or I will have a phone conversation with you and we'll figure out exactly who you're renting to and who your competition is. And we pay really close attention to those two things because we are not interior designers. We are investors first. So if I can save you $500 um, on just like living room decor, we're going to do that because we're investors. So like every dollar matters. So we definitely are focusing on the budget investor when it comes to furnishing and we're making things really beautiful. And so um, we're going to have a phone conversation. My team's going to do some research. You, the investor, is going to do some research. And from there, we are off to the races kind of creating our design board for you. So it is a customized design for your unit. You then have a one-on-one conversation with my designer to go over those design boards, um, as well as our furnished tracker. Now, that is just a fancy thing that is a Google spreadsheet that has a link to every single item that we're going to purchase so that you can get your eyes on it and you can approve it. About 80% of my clients, I don't think ever look at it and they just say, yep, looks good. And they just pay pay attention to that bottom number. And then I have other clients that really want to be involved and they're swapping out things. So you can work with us either way. And then we order everything for you. So a lot of interior designers, they will just send you that list of links and you purchase it. But David, this is where we're going to save people tens of hours. I know because my designer and assistant went out of town the same week. So I got to do all of the ordering not too long ago. And it took me 11 hours. And I, when my designer got back, I was like, uh, one, you can never go on vacation again. And two, am I a moron? And she was like, nope, that's how long it takes. And so we are saving our clients at least 20 hours just when it comes to ordering. We're also paying attention to the timeline. 
So if the couch that we normally buy isn't going to come in until September, well, guess what? We're not going to buy that couch because we're investors and we want your timeline for furnishing to be as tight as humanly possible because occupancy means money in your pocket. So we're going to want to get this furnished as quickly as possible. And then you can choose to work with us in two different ways. Either you or someone that you hire does the install. Or you can hire us, my designer and my installer will fly out and put everything together, decorate it, lock the door and hand you the keys or virtually give you the code to your Schlage encode. And that is what we do for you. That is literally the definition of finding a problem and then making a solution for it and making it into a flourishing business. That's fantastic. Thank you. And it's really fun because we're hearing from our clients that what we're doing is working. We're writing your listing description. We are setting up your automated messaging. We get you listed on Airbnb and Furnish Finder, which when you've done this a few times, like Yoni, you don't need to hire us to do that because you've already done it. But for our our busy professionals or, you know, first-time investors, they want that peace of mind that they're doing this correctly because for some of them, this is the biggest investment they've ever made. I, I have a I have a question. We've talked to a lot of people that do co-hosting and property management in the Airbnb space while since having the podcast. And one of the things that David and I have concluded from talking to people that have really made it from Blue Gems Group to um, to a few, to a few other people that have been successful, like Jeff Alulian in Malibu, is that these luxury properties are where these management fees obviously kick in because the higher the nightly rate, the more the management fee kicks in. As you were describing your your company, your design company, I was thinking to myself, she's focused on the budget traveler. Uh, the budget, I'm sorry, the budget host, I apologize. Yep. But do you ever think down the road that you would focus on the luxury? Is that something that you are thinking yeah. about at all? Because I would assume great- that it applies also. It's a great question. I think with these designer Airbnbs, the more luxury properties, your designer needs to go to the property beforehand. And so we have pitched that a few times and the cost is basically equal to an interior designer. And at the end of the day, if they're not really interested in in saving money, then they might as well go with a local interior designer. And so I think Aria Design, and I might be like, this may be a limiting belief, so feel free to call me out on it. But I think that we know what we're really good at and we're really good at decorating from afar. And and when I say on a budget, I mean, we have done, you know, a $30,000 STR in Galveston, Texas. And so like we have done some of these higher level uh, designs. But I think if you're wanting like an immaculate Airbnb that's going to stand out amongst the rest, I do think you're better off going with an interior designer that lives there and can go in and touch the property multiple times. If you want to fly us out to the property multiple times, I know my team would love to do that. But I have a feeling that we're going to be beat out by a local interior designer. I don't know your business. I just know the effect that your name has on things and the and i would assume that the amount of time um doesn't change doesn't vary that much based on three like it's not going to like quadruple between a three bedroom and a seven bedroom deluxe so my only my only my only question i would say is that we're all becoming friends i would say and because we want to make everyone to make as much money as possible is 
you know, maybe there is a way one day where you have a, you know, when you feel like you've cornered the market, right? And you, maybe there's a, maybe there's that niche waiting for you. I know that if I had a Lux property and I knew you did it from afar, it wouldn't matter to me as a host. I would want somebody I trust and people trust you. That's what I would say. Oh, thanks. Well, thanks, Yoni. I appreciate it. We love helping investors make this as smooth as possible. And so I would love to work with clients that need our help. And so if that's you, then give us a call. Yeah, it really, really comes down to, like you said, just like finding a, a very specific niche, just like, you know, that person that was uh, doing the traveling baseball teams. You found a very specific niche of people that want to invest. Like, I, I'm assuming a lot of your clients are probably like the same type of people that I'm talking to, where it's like, oh, it's a busy physician that makes $800,000 a year and they want to start investing in medium term rentals. They're not going to take the time out of their day to go set up a one bed, one bath apartment in Cleveland, but they could have somebody that can do it for them to where they have more money than time. And and you're providing a service to those people. And it, it was a fantastic business model. Exactly. And then all of the questions that come afterward. So I encourage people to reach out because what happens is you're so excited that you finally found a property. They accepted your offer. You go through the due diligence process. But then as you start getting closer to closer to close, you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to furnish this? Then you're so focused on furnishing it that then you kind of forget okay, what do I do when I actually get a client or in this case, a tenant? And so I'm really proud that Aria Design, like we're there for you every step of the way. Uh, we don't offer management. Um, so definitely reach out to Yoni. Sounds like he knows some really great co-hosts. That's not a business that I am in at this time, but we want to get everywhere from purchase to launch and make it easier for you. So um, let's let's go back a little way. So you mentioned that you bought a four unit and was it Omaha, correct? Correct. So what is your favorite unit type? So my my thing that I've been chasing and what I've been going after is what I like to call the misfit houses to where they're like the one bed, one bath or the two bed, one bath, like 800 yep. square foot house that nobody wants because the long term rental investor, it doesn't make sense. Families, it doesn't make sense. So there's less people that are going after it. I like those. But what type of units do you really like and what are you really looking for? Yeah, so my favorite is a side-by-side -side duplex that's a 2-1 or a 1-1 unit makeup. Um, that's that's my favorite. So I bought um, a, two fourplexes. Um, they both happen to be next door to each other, which is really nice. And they're all one-bedroom, one-bath units. And those stay fully occupied. My occupancy rate is fantastic because I focus on travel medical professionals. And then in Des Moines, Iowa, almost every duplex that I own there is a side-by-side -side duplex and it's a two-bedroom, one-bath. Very interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't have any small multifamily other than like our very first place that we had, which was I had a carriage house out back, which I, I say is like the luxury house hacking because we had a fence in between us and we never saw anybody that ever saw us. But I, I've been Amazing. wanting to get into the uh, the small multifamily space because I think if you, like you said, have like a, a four unit, that's a one bed, one bath that's close to a hospital. I mean, it's still just one mortgage, just one closing. And then you exactly. are you know getting four X or three X, whatever the amount of rent coming in. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I, then I even went as far as I bought two duplexes next door to each other using hard money because I used the Burr strategy. So I renovated them, rented them out, refinanced it, and got my money back. So I actually have one loan across two properties as well. And so that feels like a total win because it's while it's two different roofs, it's still just one loan and it's four units that are cash flowing about $2,000.
Cool. So uh, it sounds like most of your units are in kind of like Midwest markets, and that's where I'm at as well. And I think that Midwest, I, I tell people Midwest is best. I like it because you can usually get into properties for relatively cheap, and then you can still rent out to people for a relatively higher price. Because like if it's if it's in Boulder, like uh, Ziana's property, you know, like there's there's a lot of demand for that, and so they're wanting and they people are you know wanting to go to those types of places like travel nurses and stuff like that. And so nobody's necessarily wanting to go to like Fort Wayne, Indiana for a travel nursing contract unless the pay is good. So you kind of get like this inverse relationship of like cheaper properties in the Midwest, but higher paid nurses because they're having to go to, you know, Cleveland in the middle of January or something like that. Is that kind of how you're seeing it? Yeah. What I'm finding is that in the Midwest, I'm focusing on travel medical professionals because I'm choosing them near hospitals. And there's tons of different reasons that I invested in the markets that I did. One of the big ones being affordability and job stability. And so we have really strong and steady job market in Des Moines, Kansas City, and Omaha, the, the places that I invest in. And the home prices are really affordable. And so if I happen to be wrong and medium-term rentals don't work out, th they still cash flow as long-term rentals. And so for me, especially at the beginning – um, as a new investor, I was scared. I was really nervous. Like, what if this doesn't work? Because I wasn't made of money. I didn't have a ton of cash. And so for me, what I started doing is I started making one unit of the duplex a long term and the other unit on the other side a medium term. And that helped me sleep at night. And now the cash flow from the medium term is so exciting that I'm starting to switch over some of those LTRs into MTRs. Very nice. Yeah. Because like you said, the markets that you're looking into whenever you're like, oh my, there's, you know, 60 medium term rentals on Furnish Finder in whatever city that I'm looking into. It's like, in all reality, it, it's probably not that saturated because like you said, these people, you only need to find four people a year that are staying there. And whenever like my unit gets booked, it's not like a short term rental to where it's like, oh, it's booked for the weekend. And then, you know, it'll come back up later and you have all these options available to you. Whenever it starts getting down to the wire and my wife and I, we had a personal experience with this because we were traveling for like eight months. That's how you and I uh, first met whenever we were at VPCon out in San Diego. Yeah. We, at the last minute, we had to find a medium-term rental in Denver because the one that we were staying at, uh, we didn't realize that the person said that it was a shared space and it said entire home on the unit or on the Airbnb listing. But she was like, oh no, I live in whatever room. And we're like, okay, well, like <laughs> you can't do that. So my wife and I, we had to move on and find something else. And in all of Denver, you know, massive, massive city, there was so limited options whenever it came to like a last minute place to stay. So yeah, I, I agree with you that, you know, even though a, a property or a, a, a city may start to look like it's a little bit oversaturated, in all reality, there's probably a lot more uh, opportunity there than what you think. Yeah, absolutely. So you said that you were focusing on the Midwest. Are you starting to look into other other areas now or you have more interest in like maybe doing insurance contracts or anything like that? Or are you still kind of sticking to the tried and true of travel nurses? I think for me, I like the markets that I'm in and I'm starting to build a really strong team of vendors and, you know, on the ground help. So at this time, I'm not actively looking at other markets. With that being said, I'm very blessed that I get deals sent to me often. And so I don't want the internet to come at me with pitchforks if I buy in a fifth state, but it's not the intention right now. I like your focus. I think niches get riches. And I think, and I think that's the correct way of going about it. And I, and I respect the discipline a lot. 
because if, if you have, you're going to keep growing and growing and eventually one day, maybe somebody will buy your portfolio out for so much that you can trade into something really, really cool rather than just have a distracted portfolio. I think that I, I really respect your mindset. Thank you. I think it's really important. And, and again, like I'm, I'm, it's not lost on me that I own in three markets that happen to be in four states. Um, I, I just think that now that I have 19 units, it makes sense to keep buying in those same markets so that I don't have to spend admin time, which now costs me money because I do have an assistant on building a whole nother vendor list. So um, let's let's talk. I mean, we touched on like saturation a little bit. Like, if you were looking into a new market, let's say somebody is trying to like figure out a new market that they want to go look into, what would be kind of some things that they can look for in regards to? Oh, this does maybe seem like there's too many in the market, or hey, this place is ripe for the picking. If there's you know uh, X amount of requests or something, what like kind of walk us through the process if you were going to look into a new market? Yeah, I think you need to identify your ideal tenant. So you mentioned briefly Jesse Vasquez. Um, he is known as like the go-to content creator for anything that has to do with displaced insurance policy holders. So what that means is that this person can no longer live in their house because of flood, fire, a tree fell on their house, whatever it is, that they're now displaced and they're using their insurance policy to go find a new place to live. So that could work in any market. And so it's really hard for me to give like a one or two paragraph answer on what market to look in, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to identify your ideal tenant. For me, it's travel nurses. I know that. I like them. I like how, how they leave my units. That is my focus. So then what did I do? I simply Googled. Now I would use ChatGDP. Where are travel nurses going? Like where's the most demand? Where's the most, um, you know, filling of, of employment? You don't just want the one that has the most vacancies uh, in their hospital. I want to know where are most of the travel nurses going. And in 2021, it was Omaha, Nebraska. They've gotten a little bit smarter, these travel nurses, because now the number one location, last I checked, was Hawaii. So the nurses have gotten smarter. I would much rather live in Hawaii than Omaha. But that's what I looked at. So I looked at demand, and then I followed the demand. So then when we're talking about saturation, the next thing I did is I looked, okay, what are the options for these travel nurses in Omaha? Well, lucky for me, they were mostly granny flats. They were people renting out a room in their house, cell phone photo, bad quality, bad decor, bad lighting, not somewhere that a, a nurse is going to want to live. Most of the nurses that live in my units, this is not their first placement. So they know what they're looking for and they're not willing to sacrifice on things like comfort and a little bit of affordability, uh, but mostly comfort and how cute the unit is. Um, I wish there was a more sophisticated way to say that, but basically if your unit's really cute, then the nurse probably does want to stay there. It's it's so true because like I would say I, I wish I had a number or a statistic to throw out to everybody to sound way smarter than what I am. But I you know me being a nurse practitioner myself, you know I I just know what the demographic is and typically it's like you know twenty something young female is the typical traveling nurse and so they have Pinterest, they have Instagram, they want to be staying somewhere really nice that they they can you know show off and say oh my gosh look at my new unit that I'm staying in and if they have to pay two hundred dollars extra a month to stay at a really nice place they're absolutely going to do it. 
Yeah. And what's really interesting is actually just recently I had a male travel nurse. I have, I have male travel nurses often, but I had one that particularly was like, I specifically want that unit because I have, you know, seven units that are the exact same layout, but the decor is all different. And he specifically wanted that unit because I have this really cool painting of Albert Einstein. It's like, it's just a really great piece that I found. And he like specifically wanted that unit. And so it it's not even just your and he and he was not in his 20s and so i think anyone wants to like where they live especially i can relate as a nomad i want to stay places that are beautiful like if i'm going to go live somewhere for 3 months i want to feel as comfortable as i can cuz i'm already living uncomfortably because these aren't my things i'm living out of a suitcase and so if i am going to unpack my suitcase for for 3 months I want to live somewhere that's really cool. Completely agree. Yeah. So if, if other people are one, are listening to this and they're wanting to learn more about this, is there a book or a resource that they could maybe <laughs> go to to uh, maybe learn more? I think I have it right here. So you guys, thank you so much, David. Um, please buy my book. It's called 30 Day Stay. I co-authored with Ziana McIntyre. It is published by Bigger Pockets. It's called 30 Day Stay, A Real Estate Investor's Guide to Mastering the Medium Term Rental. And I'm very proud. The book is truly a resource book. So if you already know how to finance deals, you can skip the financing chapter. If you're already under contract and you're trying to build your team, I teach you how to build your on-the-ground team. And both Ziana and I, we both focus on out-of-state investing. So you're kind of getting a two-for-one. We're talking about out-of-state investing and medium-term rentals. And I pre-ordered your book, and as soon as I got it, I devoured it. And that, and I already had, you know, five medium-term rentals at that time. And I picked up so many nuggets from your book, and it was absolutely fantastic. So I can't recommend it to people enough. I send it to people all the time. Anybody that asks me any questions, like just buy the book. It'll tell you 99% of what you need to know. Then come back to me and ask me questions. Thank you so, so much. And I have a 20% off promo code for your audience. It is Sarah Spring, S-P-R-I-N-G. Sarah Spring, Sarah with an H. So S A R A H Spring for 20% off at the Bigger Pocket store. Oh my gosh. Well, that is amazing. Thank you so much for that. You're welcome. So, so what was, I, I just want to ask selfishly, like, what was the process like of like writing a book for Bigger Pockets? I'm sure that was kind of surreal. And then, like, how did that kind of transpire? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, absolutely. So, I have a journalism degree. So, I do love writing. I I like to think that I'm a very good storyteller and I'm an okay writer. Um so thank you Bigger Pockets Publishing for all your help um in making me sound better than I am. And what had really happened was I met Ziana. She's also an avid traveler and a real estate investor. We bonded on those two things and we shared a room at a conference um and she came to me with a different book idea we took that book idea to bigger pockets and together us uh Ziana and I and the publishing we kind of came up with this and like within gosh a few months we had a book deal a few months after that we had our first draft done and within the year it was published so it was a whirlwind to say the least so cool so 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 cool love it 
Okay, um, I think uh, we are creeping up on an hour, so we'll be respectful of time. Uh, we're going to start going into some of our uh, kind of closing up questions, and they're a little bit more like more questions directed towards you. Um, and my favorite question that I ask people uh, from the beginning is, what is your favorite deal that you have done so far? What's the one that you think back on and you're just like, oh, my God, that was it? Oh, gosh. Um I mean, probably that very first deal. So, I mean, you, you've you read the story in the book, um, but for those of you guys that haven't read the book yet, I found a property by walking the streets, or we say driving for dollars. Um, my friends were all pre-gaming uh, for our friend's wedding, and I was driving for dollars, knocking on doors, like determined to find something before I went to the wedding. And sure enough, I saw a for sale by owner sign in the yard. Uh, long story short, I walked the property that night, ran home, got dressed, made the amateur mistake of trying to then catch up with my friends. So that was a super fun wedding. And then the next day, hungover or not, I went back with my dad to walk the property. And we kind of had an agreement, like we'd play good cop, bad cop. So I played, oh yeah, I really want it. And my dad's like, oh, I don't know about this wall or this foundation. But really the whole time we were like, this is it. Like I knew it was a good deal, even with the very limited real estate investing knowledge that I had then. Um, I knew that it was a killer deal. And thankfully, I was right. Do you mind sharing some numbers on that? Like what was a uh, purchase price and what are you typically getting for uh, as a medium term rental? Yeah, absolutely. So that property is my only single family and it is a long term rental. And so I bought it for two seventeen, two hundred and seventeen thousand. They should have sold it to me for about two thirty, maybe two forty five. But again, they were determined to be a for sale by owner, so they frankly sold it to me for too cheap. And then I put in about ten thousand dollars in renovations, and did not know about the Burr strategy back then. <laughs> so still to this day, I have not refinanced, uh, which I, I don't know how I feel. Um, but it's probably worth three fifty now, all in. And then my PITI is around fifteen hundred, one thousand five hundred, and I rent it for two thousand four hundred as a long term rental. Correct. Oh my gosh. So yeah, do, what do you do if you would ever switch it over to the MTR model? Do you think what do you think it could pull or are you just going to leave it at the as the long term? Yeah, actually today um I emailed her to ask if she wanted to extend her lease and she said yes. And so um no, I my plan with that house, I have a couple different plans with that house. So eventually I will tear that house down, all my hard work. Um, and I will build a new build on that lot because I bought for 217 and this was in 2017. So it's always easier to remember that. Across the street, they did that. They tore the houses down. They built one of those, you know, takes up the whole lot, mini mansion type things. And back then it sold for 750 This is all my same street. Like I can see their front door from my front door. And today they're selling closer to 950, 1.1 mil. And so that's my exit strategy. And so I'm just coasting with that one. I, I'd uh, say that it's a pretty solid exit strategy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. I felt really good about it at the time. And yeah, it just keeps frankly getting better. And that's the thing with real estate is like time heals all. 
But time also just makes your deal even better, especially when you buy a good deal. And so I'm really, really proud of that very first property. And guys, I didn't know almost anything that I know now when we're talking about like capital expenditures, how to even analyze the deal. I literally was taking my monthly payment, sorry, rent minus my monthly payment. And I was like, sweet, I'm rich. Um, now I like account for vacancy, property management, capital expenditures, maintenance and repairs. I'm a little more conservative because um, I've gotten a little smarter, <laughs> but I just, I knew it was a good deal and I knew worst case scenario, I could flip it. Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta jump out of the plane and make a parachute on the way down, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I gotta, I gotta ask you something. So I, I've, um, I've been the, mostly the note taker on this call. Um, I've been trying to time all the, all the best clips and so like we make them as shorts and I just, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking and you have, you're, you're so dynamic. Um, I definitely see why you were destined to be an entrepreneur, but also all those jobs prior to you being an entrepreneur led you to being an author an interior designer, a real estate, uh, owner as somebody your storytelling shows and you're following. Like there's a lot of pieces to you and selfishly, I want to know this for myself, but I'm sure if I want to know it and David wants to know it, our, our viewers want to know it. Is there a habit? Is there a habit that you have? Maybe you do daily, maybe you do weekly, maybe you do monthly that you think made you into who you are? Because I think a lot of people are going to focus on like the Zanzi bar, the traveling, the shiny stuff. And then when they go pray, they're going to go pray for the same thing. But what I think they want to know what's inside of you and makes yeah. you, you. And I want to know that. I think everyone, I would, I think I, I would, I would love to learn what is that secret weapon? Yeah. Oh man. I mean, there's so many different things. I think one is I always take notes. So speaking of, you, you mentioned notes. So I've always been a, uh, a journaler. I write in my journal. And I not I'm not a habitual person. Like yesterday, I flew 17 hours from Portugal to Zanzibar. I'm here for three days, and so like my lifestyle is like the anti habit. Um, so it would be a complete lie if I said I wrote in my journal every day. I don't write in my journal every day, but if I hear something, I and I know I want to want to remember it. I I write it down, and I'm actually trying to be more efficient. Um, I'm actually been doing some studying on the second brain. We could like have a whole podcast about the second brain. It's so fascinating. Basically just like we're such consumers now. So what are we doing with all of that information and how are we categorizing it, making it easier to search so that when I get asked a question on a podcast, I can like pull a brilliant quote. Um, that's something I'm not very good at. And so I think journaling is key. Like I, at anyone successful that I spend time with, they also journal. So, so Yoni, that's one. The other is I'm pretty unapologetic about asking questions. I know I'm smart. And for years, I felt like I needed to prove to people that I was smart. Um, it could possibly like be the blonde hair and the big boobs. I was nervous that people would think I was dumb. But I know I'm smart. And so I have no shame in asking questions. And so you guys are already like doing a great job. I think being a podcast host makes you really good at asking good questions. So I spent my, almost my entire 20s like asking really good questions. 
And I think those two things paired together like made me a really like naturally curious person. And then the third thing that I think is so important, the moment you decide that you're going to be a real estate investor, you need to be intentional with what you're doing. So I'm terrible at saying no to things, like absolutely awful at saying no to things. Like the fact that I actually went to Portugal last week just because someone invited me like five days before. So I'm terrible at saying no. So this really is hard for me and I do it. So I'm really intentional with my time. So if I go to a meetup, I know exactly who I want to meet when I'm there. And I probably have already looked at their LinkedIn, listened to a podcast that they're on, and I know what questions I want to ask them or where I want the relationship to lead. And so I'm very intentional when I go to things. Um, and I think that that really led to like all of my first jobs. Like how the heck did I get to work at Sports Illustrated? Well, I was really intentional with that relationship and it led to a job offer. And so I think leading with intention and basically just being unapologetic about it. I think that might be the the best answer to that question that we've ever had. That was fantastic. <laughs> and, and I think and I think that um, these are things that people can work on. You know what I mean? People think they could just float float around in life and then eventually get there, but you have to be very intentional. I think working on being a great qu a person that asks a lot of questions. There are jobs you can do. There are there are things you can do like podcasting, like you know, like we're talking about to to make yourself better. Um, it, it, it's, it, th th that's a lot deeper of an answer than just saying, get your, uh, run in on the treadmill. Uh, that's my, it, see, that, that's, that, that's, that's, every morning. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, you know, but, um, your answer is those that seek to be multi-dynamic in an ever increasingly more competitive world with the rise of AI and all these other things. So I really appreciate, I appreciate that answer. That was a really great answer. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely. And, you know, and, and, I'll, and, and I'll give an example, like how many times have I been asked the LLC question? And I just want to like shake that person. Like you, you only probably get a couple chances to ask a question and you want to ask me if you should open an LLC? Like what a, I'm sorry, but like what a dumb question. <laughs> Um, because I'm I'm not an attorney. I, I'm not your CPA, your financial advisor. I don't know you. And so I think like being really intentional with who you're asking the question to and what the question is, um, basically like never ask a question that you can Google, but like really be intentional about who's in front of you and what could be the the game changer conversation that you and that person could have that's going to take you one step closer to the life that you want. Yeah, and I just wanted to touch on the the uh, not being afraid to ask questions because that's something that is so so huge, and that's something I'm I'm the same way. Like I don't care, I'll ask whatever question you know. Like I don't care if I'm gonna you know seem dumb with it or whatever. But being in these rooms, you know, like they they always say that you should be the dumbest person in the room. That's that's the idea, right? If you're like gonna go hang out with other investors or something like that. But if you're the dumbest person in the room, but you don't ask any questions and learn anything, then you're still the dumbest person in the room. You know, like you need to ask questions and be willing to put yourself out there to learn from other people. So I love love that answer. Thank you. And I don't know how how many female listeners there are out there, but ladies, like use being a woman to your advantage men, I love you, and you love mansplaining. And so that makes you feel good. So sometimes I'm asking questions that I know the answer to. 
I mean, that's like an attorney, right? Like they know the answer to the question. And so sometimes I'm asking questions because I'm guiding the conversation in a certain direction. Also, people love talking about themselves. And so like one of the best ways to build trust with someone is to get them talking about themselves. And so especially ladies, don't be afraid to be like, sorry, can you explain that to me? <laughs> okay. Um, and then our last question that we have for you is what or where can people find out more about you? And is there any troubles that you're currently having in your business? And how could our listeners provide value to you with that? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yes, I do not have a logo for my invested adventure company, and I am very indecisive. And so if anyone wants to help me choose a logo for my travel company, Invested Adventures, I would love that. Um, I also just have put no time and energy into that at all. Um that would probably be the biggest thing. And so where you can find me is sarahdweaver.com or on Instagram at sarahdweaver. And cannot recommend following her enough because if you want to like live vicariously through uh, a nomad, she's floating around all over the place. It's always fun to see her stories. So awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you, David. Thank you, Yoni. Absolutely. All right, Yoni, any last words before we get her out of here? This is the ideal, uh, this is what, this is literally hashtag goals. Sarah is literally hashtag goals. So, um, you know, if you, if, if you want something to aim for, just listen to this. I, this is going to be the type of podcast you listen to four or five times over and over to get, to get the nuggets and internalize. So everyone, I, I hope you don't just listen once. I hope you listen and purchase the book with the discount code that we're going to give. There we Thanks, go. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah. This has been another episode of the Fetch It Podcast. Peace.